Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Good morning, Riverwood. I'm so glad that you are here today as we worship together. Um, This past week, I was doing some research in the area of art, and Vincent Ball, anyone ever heard of that name? He's an artist from Belgium. And he does something very unique. He's a filmmaker, but he also does sketches and drawings with shadows. And so I want to show you some of them. Uh, This is the kind of stuff he does. He takes common everyday objects and they cast a shadow. He draws a picture and he utilizes all of these things in his drawings. And it can be as simple as uh, scissors or a leaf or even a key. I was reading, he doesn't try to force it, so he lets the shadow be cast before he draws. He doesn't like go in ahead of time and try to devise something, but these are the kinds of things um, that he comes up with. All right, so after I was doing this research, I had a very dangerous thought, and this is the dangerous thought. How hard can that be? (laughs) I mean, He makes it look real easy, which is probably the key to good artwork. And so I was thinking, how hard could it be? So I um, went out and I attempted my own Vincent Ball interpretation this week. And so let's just go to the sketch of what I created. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's got that Christmas feel to it. Yeah, all right, yeah. Anyway, um, I tried. But here's the reality about shadows. Shadows, as we know, is the absence of light. They are cast. uh, We see them. And but there's really nothing there. They they give a form. I mean, they're helpful a little bit. They give you kind of a form or shape. But when you see the shadow, when you grab for it, when you want to find it and do something with it, there's nothing there. We all know that. And so We as human beings know that about shadows, and we are in desperate uh, kind of, we have this desperation for reality. We don't settle for shadows. Like, if I were to give you a Christmas gift and it was just a shadow, you'd be like, what is this? There's nothing here. We desire reality and real things in our physical lives. But here's where the conversation is going to get interesting, because we also desire that kind of reality for our spiritual lives. As a spiritual human being, as, as a spiritual part to every single one of us, we desire something that is real. Not shadows, but something that is real. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we are in need spiritually of something that is real, living in a world that is filled with shadows. How do we discern what is real and what is not? And so we're going to talk about reality today. And that's why we have gathered to talk about God's word that points us into the direction of what is real and what is true and what do we need to know. And so I'm glad you're here. Uh, We're going to be examining God's word together not the opinions of what I think, but what God thinks. And so we're going to be in God's word. We've been walking through this book called Hebrews uh, in the New Testament. And uh, we've been asking a lot of questions along the way. And the question for, day, for today is this. What, what is your heart really embracing? 
What is your heart embracing? Is it embracing something of shadow? We'll talk about that. Or is it embracing something that is real? And that's what you really want to answer and find uh, truth in. May you be encouraged. There's going to be encouragement along the way. There's going to be something of challenge um, for all of us too. So let's open up our Bibles. And chapter 10, interesting, we've been walking through this series called Greater Than. And every week for the last three months, we've been answering this question, what is greater than? What is greater than? And it almost lulls you to sleep of all of the comparisons that he's been making. Now, if you're brand new to our church, I actually want to take some time and go all the way to the beginning just to kind of walk you through. And it'll be kind of a nice review for all of us of where we've been. So Jesus is greater than, in chapter 1, we saw he is greater than angels. That's a good Christmas theme as well. Uh, there was a lot of fear around angels, and that even worked its way into the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than angels. Chapter 2, we saw that he is greater than even our greatest fears. We talked about the greatest fear of death, and he is greater and can conquer even that fear. Chapter 3, we said that he is greater than Moses. I mean, we're talking about very popular figures of the Old Testament that this church would have been revered. And so he is greater than even Moses in chapter 3. Chapter 4, he is greater than Joshua, the one that led them into the promised land. We had this long conversation about resting. How do you rest and rest and rest, but spiritual rest. Chapter 5, we saw that he is greater than Aaron, the high priest, all of the high priests. He is greater than the high priests of the Old Testament. Chapter 6, we saw that he is greater so that we can endure to the end of the race. There's different warnings that we came across, and this one was specific about how are you finishing? How are you going to finish? Are you going to finish well? You're going to need Jesus Christ to help you do that. Chapter 7, he is greater than Melchizedek. Let's talk about legendary figures. Who is this king? We talked about how he is greater even than him. Chapter 8, he is greater because he gave us a more excellent covenant. We talked about all these promises and covenants and how they build into what Jesus Christ came to be the one who fulfilled the new covenant. And then chapter 9, we saw that he is greater than religious systems and rituals as we are eagerly waiting. We talked about that last week. We're eagerly waiting for his return. And while we wait, we wait with patience knowing that what he said is true. And so if you were in the original audience, this letter would have been delivered and it would have probably taken a little over an hour to read. Now think about that. You're reading and you're listening to this letter being read, and you keep hearing this theme over and over and over again of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And again, we're going to see that in chapter 10. But before we go there, I I want to pause and ask a very personal question. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus is greater? It is so assumed that we come into church and we sit and we hear nice things and again, we can be lulled into these themes of yes, he's greater, he's greater, he's greater. But is he really greater in your life? Do you really believe that he is? Or is this just an intellectual exercise? 
Sunday morning, I'm going to say something dangerous. This can turn into a shadow where you're just putting time in and you feel good about it. Or you go to church and you, maybe you give to the poor or you, do, you go to a Bible study. Church can be filled with lots of shadows. And I want to make sure that we pause and ask uncomfortable questions. And the uncomfortable question is, do you really believe what is going on here? Do you believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus is greater? Because if he is, then he is supreme over everything in our lives. And he then, the principle would be the same. He is greater than religious practices. He is greater than everything. He is greater than my family. He is greater than my kids and my wife. He's greater than my job and what I find significance in. He is supreme over all of those things. Do we really, truly believe that? That's what the first nine chapters have been asking us over and over again. And in chapter 10, we're going to see more comparison, more contrast. But I just wanted to pause to ask that question, to allow that to maybe ruminate in your life. Is he really greater, or are you doing something shadowy? Um, You're just coming because they're coming, or you're just here because— We want to talk this morning about reality. If you, have, if you want to talk something of reality, we're going to talk about that in God's word. What is real? Not shadows. Tell me what is real. Time is precious. Life is fleeting from every single one of us. Tell me what is real. That's what we want to talk about this morning. What is real? And I want you to hear, there's going to be some realities in the text that the writer wants to bring forth. And so the reality number one is this, and this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody, but we are a broken people. We're sinful. And we could go section by section and say, what do we struggle with? And it wouldn't be comfortable, but it's real. We know that we are broken, sinful people. Nobody ever argues with that. We, we are prideful. We are angry. There are things that we think about that we'd be embarrassed to share. And so all of these things is the hard reality that we come into this conversation. Reality number one, we are broken people. All right, so now that we have that, let's go into the text because Hebrews chapter 10 wants to bring some answer and clarity and help to people who are broken. This is what God's word says in chapter 10. Verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
All right, so here in the book of Hebrews, we find this language, I've highlighted it, of sacrifices and offerings, and it takes us all the way back to the Old Testament imagery over and over again. And what it's speaking of is this idea of sacrifice. So, so what is the very basic definition of sacrifice? It's when something is given so that you can have something else. Something is given for something else or someone else, some kind of sacrifice. And sacrifice comes in, in big ways and also comes in very small ways, like when you pull out of that parking spot in the front row and you're like, I am sacrificing for the good of all the other shoppers or... I am sacrificing by giving uh, maybe cookies to your neighbors. I am sacrificing time by this and that or sacrificing money. We do all those things in small ways, but we know sacrifice grows as well. I mean, even this week, we are going to remember the sacrifice of life that was Pearl Harbor. I mean, we know that there are people who sacrifice at that kind of level so that we could have freedoms I mean, so sacrifice comes in little ways and in huge ways. And it also comes in spiritual ways. The Bible talks about giving of something so that you could have something else. And so sacrifice is this other reality. In God's world, there is something about sacrifice where he wants to maintain relationship with his people that are broken. Again, we're broken and sinful people, so that's the first reality. The second reality is God wants to have a relationship with broken people. Amazing. And he's going to do that in the area of sacrifice. Sacrifice. So where does this originate? Like this idea of sacrificing animals and goats and bulls and all of that, this idea of something be given for something else. Let me tell you where it originates. Now we're going to go back into Genesis. And now we know reality number one, broken people are in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve, bad decision making. That then was trickled down to every single one of us. But in chapter 4 of Genesis, notice what's taking place very early in the narrative. The next generation down, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Fascinating. Very early, there is this idea of sacrifice. Something must be given in place of something else and someone else. And so very early, there's this reality of sacrifice. And that's what the, the writers, uh, or the writer of Hebrews to this early church would have been very familiar with. They knew the Cain and Abel story. And they also knew Numbers and Leviticus. They knew Deuteronomy. They knew the law. I mean, that's what he's referencing in these, in these verses. All of these realities of sacrifice. 
But notice um, what he's saying here in Hebrews chapter 10. He's saying all of this sacrifice and sacrifice and offerings and offerings. Notice what he says in chapter 10. Let's go back to what he said specifically. I want you to see that. He said in chapter 10, verse 1, he said, all of these sacrifices and all of these bulls and rams are a shadow. Shadow. Wait a second. Those were real bulls and real rams and real goats that were being sacrificed. How, how could that be a shadow? What he's saying is that even though, yes, they were real, there was real blood being shed by these animals, it was a mere shadow of what was to come that was going to be an even greater sacrifice. These animals being sacrificed were a, a form. They were a silhouette. They were a resemblance of something that was coming. And that's why in the text he says things like this, that they could never make perfect those who draw near. He's talking about those in the Old Testament. They would do these sacrifices, but it was never perfect. Logically, he says then they could never. And there was a never-ending amount of animal sacrifice. And then the author tells us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, this is the real problem of the Old Testament, that there was always this imperfection in the shadows of the sacrifice. So reality number one, broken people... Reality number two, we are in desperate need of a sacrifice because that's how God maintains relationship. But in the Old Testament, it was always imperfect. Now, here's a very common question people ask. Were Old Testament people, like, how are they saved? They are saved by faith. They were placing faith in the shadow, in the things of shadowiness, and God rewarded them for that. And so, yes, they were sacrificing animals, but as soon as you would sacrifice an animal and be cleansed, guess what would happen? You'd go back out into the real world, and there it would happen again. And so there was this unending going back to the temple, always going back to mediate this relationship with God, and it was always shadowy at best, imperfect. All right. Now there's going to be a turn in the text in verse 5. The writer of Hebrews now wants to bring the continuing story. It's, this is good news. The next movement is now going to talk about the New Testament. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, consequently, there's a good kind of change word right there in the text. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said... He speaks of sacrifices and offerings right here. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Jesus is now assigning the Psalm 40 to his own words. In verse 6, In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken in sacrifices and offerings and in burnt offerings and in sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. 
But he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right, so I am so grateful for the people who sacrificed time to make our church look really good for Christmas. All the decorations and putting up the trees. There was people here long hours on Friday and Saturday, and they did all that just so we could read right here in the text that Christ came into the world. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And so in the text here in Hebrews, in these six verses, he has condensed it down to say, do you really know what the mission of Jesus Christ was? Christ came into the world to do what? And if you notice here, uh, his mission was not to have a large following of people. His mission was, was not to be the ultimate teacher. His mission was not to heal the sick. His ultimate mission was not to cast out demons. All of this was secondary. Why did Jesus enter into the picture? It's something of reality he wants to address. And it's even spoken of in the Christmas story. In the Gospel of Matthew, notice what it says. This is now Christmas language we're going to talk Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, notice the word, save his people from their, notice the word, sins. This was the mission of Jesus Christ. The ultimate mission was to come and to save the lost. Remember, reality number one, sinful people always having a problem, desperately needing a relationship with a God. It only comes in reality number two of a sacrifice. And the Old Testament was always imperfect. Now comes Jesus beautiful language, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is what we're desperate for, the right relationship with God. How is it going to happen? What's he going to do? Is it on us? Are we going to offer something? Are we going to sacrifice something? Is that what's going to happen? How is this going to happen? And the continuation of these verses from Psalm 40 tell us what his ultimate mission was. These words in Psalm 40 were about Jesus Christ. Notice what he said. A body, a body. His body was being prepared. A body was being prepared to be the definitive sacrifice, the once and for all offering the Son of Man's mission was to come into this world to save the lost and to follow. Notice what he said, his Father's will. That takes us back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, Lord, what's going on here? Your will be done. And so reality number one, broken people. Reality two, we need a sacrifice. Bulls and goats will never cut it. But there is one who does. 
His name is Jesus Christ. That is reality number three, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I'm gonna read next is the crescendo that the author wants us to feel about this reality of what Christ has done. Verse 11, notice these words. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, but, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Well, this isn't new news to anyone, but this last Friday was a very sad day here in Kent, Ohio. You know the pictures. You've heard the stories. I was uh, in, at the sheets on the corner of Fairchild pumping gas and watching the billowing smoke just come from the mill. And there's a certain sadness that happens when I saw that. And maybe you felt that too. It's like, oh, not our town. But here's what I'm really grateful for, uh, that we have police and fire people who can, who can handle these kinds of things. I'm very grateful for their dedication and grateful for their skill and all of the ladders and all of the trucks and all that went into that so that there was no loss of life. That's a beautiful thing. But as I was standing there at Sheets pumping gas, I was thinking of Hebrews chapter 10, and I was thinking, as a firefighter, there's, a, there's never an end to this kind of work. It's, there's always another fire. There's always something else to tend to. And there's no time ever to sit on the job. There's not like there's a, a lounge chair out there in the street somewhere and be like, oh, yeah. No, you keep going and going and going. That's exactly what the author is telling us here in Hebrews. He's talking about the Old Testament priests when we looked at the picture of the temple and the Holy of Holies, did you notice there wasn't a couch in the temple? There wasn't a place just to kind of hang out. There was always more work to be done over and over again because once the bull and the blood was shed, there was going to be a need for another one and another one and another one. And so what he says here in the text is very significant. This is good news. For everybody who has gathered here, this is good news because when Christ came, I'll say it this way right here. This, the text says it. This, is, this should excite your heart as you hear this. He sat down. He sat down. There, there, it's over. 
the continual shedding of, of blood of animals. It's over. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He sat down. And when he sat down, he dealt with sin in a way that has never been dealt with before. The, how thorough and the depth of the cleanliness of forgiveness. This is good news for all of us who are so shameful walking in sin. The reality number one is our story. I'm embarrassed to tell you the things I think about. And I bet all of us have similar stories. But because of what Christ has done, there is forgiveness. And it's mind-blowing how good it is. Because where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. And right before that, he said, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds. Did you catch this? No more. No more. No more walking in shame because of what Christ has done. And so for all of those who, who walk in maybe the, the sin of anger, there is forgiveness that is possible. For those who walk in self-righteous pride, there's forgiveness that is possible. For those who walk in, in selfishness, there's forgiveness there. For those who walk in the addiction of porn, there's forgiveness through the blood of Christ. It's possible. It's possible in a way that is good news. This is real. This is the, the reality of what the writer of Hebrews wants to teach us. What is your heart embracing? It, you have to embrace reality number one. You're broken. And you have to re really embrace reality number two. Your heart is desperate for a sacrifice. What can I offer God to, to take away my sin? But reality number three is an invitation. God is not going to force that. He is going to invite you to say, come and find rest for your weary soul. Come and find that kind of forgiveness that you're looking for. There's only one place to find it, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that what your heart is embracing? Or are you just doing shadow intellectual church work on Sunday mornings? I, I just come because it makes me feel nice. I just come because uh, my wife brings me. No! You are in need of a reality. The reality of Jesus Christ. 